from John chapter 14, starting at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept you because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, and he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me uh, will be... Sorry, the one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not, who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to be with the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the word of God. Uh, thanks, Amy. Uh, good morning again. My name is Luke, if I've not met you before. And right now, we're in a time that the church has historically called Lent. And it just means it's a time where we reflect on Jesus' crucifixion and we look forward to celebrating his resurrection at Easter. And for us here at Chapel Hill, uh, it means that we're looking at John's account of the night that Jesus was betrayed and then crucified. Last week, we began in John chapter 14. And the big idea was that Jesus' life on earth is a demonstration how freedom from the reality of fear means we can love the stranger and love the sinner. And that Jesus promises to lead us along this way of the cross to the place that is prepared for us. But the obvious question is how? We talked a little bit last week about how we journey along the way of the cross, but I hope you asked yourself... How does this actually happen? It's all well and good for Jesus to tell his disciples not to be troubled, but how does that help me? After all, I've never seen Jesus. I didn't see the works that he performed, and I've never seen his resurrected body. And you know, this was actually the same issue that the disciples are facing in our passage. Jesus is about to be taken from them. And very soon, they will no longer feel his presence. We come into the action the night that Jesus was betrayed. So Jesus' words here are his instructions for how the disciples should respond to the absence of Jesus. When things fall apart and Jesus feels far away, 
What do we do? How do we keep going? How should I respond when I feel like my faith in Jesus has been all for nothing? Well, the upshot is that Jesus says that he's going to send them a helper, an advocate in the disciples' time of trouble. Uh, Look at verse 15 uh, in your passage with me. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, the word advocate here means something like a helper or a counsellor. And Jesus makes things pretty clear for us when he says that this advocate is the spirit of truth. Now, if you're a newcomer here, you might be here hungry for an experience of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's what you're after. Uh, Or maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, is this one of those churches where they do that kind of weird Holy Spirit stuff? I think it's hard to talk well about the Holy Spirit today. What is it? What does it do? Do I have it? Is the Spirit at work in my life? I mean, how would I even know? And you know, Jesus brings up the Holy Spirit right when he's talking about being far from Jesus. So I suppose the big question that this passage is asking is what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be at work in times of crisis? What is the Holy Spirit's work when I feel far from God? Well, the interesting thing about these verses is the way that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are connected. At the end of verse 17, read it with me, Jesus says that he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And it's kind of confusing when you read that the first time. Uh, Who is who? Jesus and the Holy Spirit almost blend together. And it's also important that here the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. After all, Jesus in this same chapter has said that he himself is the way, the truth and the life. And so I suppose the point is that the Holy Spirit is Jesus' continued presence with his followers. Even when he's not physically with them, the Holy Spirit still shares Jesus' presence. Look at verse 19 with me. Jesus says, Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus is telling his disciples, uh, he's preparing them for life after Jesus by telling them that he's never going to be far from them. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the way that we encounter God. God was present with them through Jesus, and from now on, he'll continue to be with them by the Holy Spirit. 
And Jesus' advocate, the Holy Spirit, it does lots of things uh, in the Gospel of John. In verse 26 of our passage here, uh, he helps the disciples remember the words and deeds of Jesus. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, guides us as we follow Jesus. But did you notice the emphasis here? The primary thing that the Holy Spirit does is remind Jesus' followers of Jesus' teaching. The point is that Jesus' presence is primarily about the message that he brings. The message of Jesus is more important than our feelings or our intuitions or whatever. This isn't to say that it's less than feeling uh, God's love and his presence in your life, but it is to say that these things are less important than remembering the message that Jesus brought. And historically speaking, this is why we have God's word in front of us now. In the Christian view, it's the Holy Spirit who's responsible for the Bible coming down to us in the form that it has. It's the Holy Spirit who illuminates our hearts and minds so that the message of Jesus might be preserved. And as we see it, that's why you're holding Jesus' words in front of you this morning. So if you wondered what an experience of the Holy Spirit was... A baseline is something that witnesses to the truth of Jesus. But you might be sitting there going, look, that sounds nice, but really? It's the 21st century. You want me to believe what? Isn't it somewhat problematic to believe that there's this this immaterial thing who opens the eyes of this select group of people to the truth of Jesus? Doesn't that sound a bit like a conspiracy theory? And you know what? This is the question that Judas, not the betrayer, but Judas asks in our passage this morning. Look at verse 22. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Judas is sitting there and he's he's voicing what the whole group must have been thinking. Lord, if you are the truth, how can you stand in your glory? How can the truth of your lordship sound forth through all the world if only this small group of people touched by the Holy Spirit can know you? And in fact, Jesus makes things even more difficult for us when he says that it's only those who love him who will understand and follow his teaching. In verse 23, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make a home with them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. The idea is that it's those who love Jesus who understand his teaching and obey. But you wouldn't talk like this about discovering a cure for polio or the laws of physics, would you? I mean, facts are supposed to be facts, aren't they? 
I suppose it's more complicated than that, isn't it? Um, take my relationship with my wife, M. You know, I suppose I have a fairly biased view of her. But I don't think that makes my experience of her true or false. And in fact, I don't know if asking that question even makes sense. I'm her husband. Do I know about her or do I love her? Am I faithful to her because I have to be or because I want to be? I wouldn't even really know how to answer those questions. And you know what? This is actually Jesus' answer to Judas's question. Why isn't, Jesus, why isn't Jesus' rule, why isn't the truth of Jesus apparent to the world? It's because God is love. If God is the essence of love, love itself, then I suppose there's no coercing people to know him. The only way that we can know him is through love, because that's what he is. The gospel of Jesus is not neutral information, because the content of the gospel is that God is love, and the only way we can know him is in love. Thinking about the Holy Spirit helps us to realise that we can get things back to front if we try to separate obedience or understanding from love. If the Holy Spirit helps us meet a God who is love, then I suppose it's not surprising that thinking in terms of obedience and understanding or love kind of misses the point. Part of our difficulty today thinking about the Holy Spirit is that it bridges the realms of love, like subjective feelings stuff, with the realm of truth, like knowing and obeying sort of stuff. But this passage is telling us that that is exactly the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes the truth of Jesus real in our lives because when we know him we begin to embody the love of him in our lives. As we lead lives like Jesus' life, we actually begin to understand him in greater love and greater truth. Because of the Holy Spirit, truth and love come together in the one package. Now, I think it's important to say that in this passage, Jesus isn't really setting criteria for who gets his approval and who doesn't. It's just to say that to love Jesus is to keep his commands. And to say that is to say that an encounter with Jesus inevitably leads to love. I want to be clear. The idea that love and obedience is an either-or question completely misses the point. For John, God is love, and it therefore follows that God can only be known in love. And yet, if this weren't the case, then the only way that we could read Jesus' words this morning would be that we need to obey Jesus' commands in order to reassure ourselves that we love him and that he therefore loves us back. But the whole point of love is that it's freely given. If we separate love and living the way of the cross, 
we end up making the love of Jesus for us into this manipulative, extorted love. It becomes this love that depends on our efforts to love a God who is so insecure that he makes us love him back in order to prove that we love him. But Jesus doesn't describe his commands like that. I mean, look in our passage, look at verse 26 with me. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see how the work of the Holy Spirit, um, our obedience to Jesus in love, it's described as a gift. You know, we tend to think of peace as the absence of conflict. But in the world of the Bible, peace is much more. Peace means harmony. Harmony with God, uh, harmony with creation, and harmony with our fellow humans. The gift of peace that Jesus offers is that we might bring peace wherever we go because of Jesus' continued presence with us in the Holy Spirit. There's no love of God without obeying his commands and there's no true obedience that isn't embodying the love of Jesus in our own lives. Or to put it another way, if you think you have one of those things and not the other, this passage is actually telling you that you probably have neither. So what do we do about that? I don't know about you, but I often feel like church would be great if it weren't for the people. People have this annoying tendency uh, to make my life harder. They waste my time. They disagree with me. They get away from the important things, like my relationship with God. But you can see right, you can see straight away what's wrong with that. It's by loving those awkward, rude sinners in my church that I realise how much God has loved me. And in fact, when I get stuck into loving real people, I can't help but realise how bad I am at it. And it reminds me of how little I actually deserve God's love. I mean, who's Jesus, who is Jesus talking to in this passage? The guy who would betray him is in the room and the rest of the disciples are about to abandon him to die. And yet Jesus promises this group of dysfunctional, selfish people the Holy Spirit. And it's through those people that the church began. Did you see what this means, though? This is why church matters. Church is the meeting point where the Holy Spirit brings us together so that we might learn the love of Christ by doing it. Do you ever feel a bit embarrassed by our church? In my sinfulness, sometimes I do. I often think if only people were a bit nicer, if only our operation was a bit more professional, uh, if, if only we had a few more people then we'd be able to do the Lord's work a bit better. What a complete denial of the Holy Spirit that is. 
It's exactly in learning to love the sinner and the outcast that we understand what God's love is. The Holy Spirit teaches us the love of Jesus as we learn how to show grace and forgiveness to broken, sinful and unimpressive people like me and like you. So how does the Holy Spirit help when the wheels fall off and Jesus feels far away? Well, you have his people around you. And their job is not to make your life better or easier. Their job is that in their brokenness, by their failed attempts to love you, by the way that their needs actually make your life harder, you might know the love of Jesus more and more. The Holy Spirit works in us so that we might learn the love of Christ by sharing the love of Christ. And if it sounds like I'm blurring together loving one another and reminding each other of the gospel, that's because that's what the Holy Spirit does. One doesn't come without the other. And uh, parenthetically, this is why it's so important that we have the disabled, uh, the mentally ill, the grieving in our churches. They're important because they remind us of Jesus' love in the love that's required to care for them. And in fact, when I see someone who's broken or going through darkness embody the love of Jesus in their life, I learn more about the power and graciousness of God's love better than I could in almost any other way. Now, obviously, the trick with this is not to manipulate or guilt trip others for our own benefit. But if you're hurting and broken, if you feel like you're a drain on our church, you need to know that that is exactly the point of church. In our brokenness, in loving each other in our brokenness, that is how the Holy Spirit teaches us the love of Christ. In his kindness, God brings us together in his church so that we might remind each other of the message of Jesus. In the inconvenience of loving sinful, sad, and often broken people, the Holy Spirit helps us discover in more clarity and glory how Jesus might choose to love those who chose to hang him on a cross. I'm going to read uh, the verses at the start of our passage. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I'm going to read from verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. For long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever, keeps, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you never abandon us. You gave us your Son 
and your Holy Spirit continues to give us Jesus. Lord, teach us that to know you is to love you, and to love you is to follow your commands. We pray that we would be a place for the sinner and the outcast. Father, please teach us that our lives are to be spent in discovering the love of Jesus in our own lives. We thank you for your church, where we can learn the depth and majesty of your love for us. Amen.